Welcome to the Responsible Finance Podcast, the official podcast of the Responsible Finance and Investment Foundation. I am Blake Good, the CEO of the RFI Foundation, a global nonprofit organization working to build awareness, promote research, and encourage convergence in the responsible finance industry, including socially responsible investment, ESG, Islamic finance, and impact investment. The purpose of the Responsible Finance podcast is to connect you to the leaders behind innovative approaches to creating positive social impact in responsible finance. This month, we're featuring an update to our podcast with Matthew Martin, founder and CEO of Blossom Finance that we released in June of last year. In today's podcast, Matthew gives us an update on Blossom Finance, which has recently closed the world's first micro sukuk focused on social impact and using the blockchain. Matthew is an early pioneer in the application of fintech for responsible finance. He combines his passion for Islamic finance and his deep fintech background. Matthew founded Blossom Finance in 2014, and Blossom aims to increase the availability and inclusivity of Islamic microfinance. As you'll hear, Blossom's social impact sukuk, although small, will have a direct impact on the beneficiaries through that Islamic microfinance, but it'll also show a proof of concept for how blockchain can revolutionize the cost structure of small sukuk issuance. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome back to the podcast, Matthew. Hey, Blake. Thanks for having me back. It's, it's really a pleasure to be back with you. So you're back because uh, you issued a sukuk. Could you explain what the sukuk is and introduce Blossom? Sure. So the sukuk is, is the world's tiniest sukuk ever issued, we believe. It's a sukuk aimed at expanding the reach of microfinance in Indonesia. Uh, and we did that using blockchain for a variety of reasons that we'll talk about. So um, Blossom, we are Blossom Finance. Um, we've been around since 2014. We are founded with the, the goal of increasing the access to financial services, uh, specifically Sharia compliant and Islamic financial services through the use of technology. And so that's what we're focused on. So you mentioned it was the world's tiniest sukuk. Uh, it was about $50,000. That's right. Uh, with that size, uh, what do you think? Even with that small size, what do you see as the impact uh, from that microsukuk um, on the beneficiaries of that financing that's been raised? Microfinance institutions in Indonesia, even the best ones, they typically struggle with um, liquidity and cash flow. And so um, for them to go, if they want to increase the amount of finance that they're able to offer, um, their depositors, of course, they're, those are not typically time deposits. Typically, they can come and take their money anytime. So that, that poses a you know, base capital problem for them, uh, a liquidity problem. And, uh, and secondly, naturally throughout the year, there's different business cycles um, and their returns fluctuate. And so, um, but their depositors are typically expecting a relatively fixed rate of return. So those two problems combined make it very difficult for some institutions to expand further. So what we did is created an instrument that is a profit sharing instrument that uh, has a one year tenor. So the money uh, is locked up with the institution for a minimum of one year. Uh, and uh, and it, during that time, it pays a monthly profit sharing payment to the investors. So the, the, the payment obligation of the, uh, the institution that's raising funds matches directly with their cash flow. So it solves that problem. And also the capital is guaranteed lockup for one year. So it solves the problem of, of liquidity. Um, and so really, we think the, the big, imp I mean, if we just talk about numbers, so this 50K, that will go to actually finance between, uh, let's say, 30 and 50 individuals. So in terms of overall, it, I mean, it's, it's less than 1% of their, of their loan book. So in terms of overall impact to the institution, it's, it's also small. But really, this is a proof of concept to show you can issue 
small ticket sukuk using a profit sharing or equity like structure and do it in a capital efficient way. And then how does the funding, uh, you mentioned the Islamic microfinance institution, uh, maybe give a background just quickly on uh, what the BMT is, uh, what uh, BMT Bina Uma is and how it provides a social impact to the community it operates in. Sure. So BMT stands for Baitamal Watamil, which basically means a combination of commercial finance and social impact. So they conduct commercial financing and then from the commercial financing that's productive finance. They don't do consumptive loans. They don't do any loan sharking. They only do finance for businesses uh, aimed at increasing household income for their members. And then they take the profit generated by that portfolio and they re after they've paid all their expenses, they reinvest some of that into social impact projects, providing immediate food relief, providing, um, you know, building medical facilities, uh, helping with education, uh, even in some cases, um, uh, creating businesses that they then donate to people that don't have a job. So actually creating a turnkey business and gifting that to someone rather than just giving them a cash handout. It's, you know, they're, they're teaching someone to fish, not just teaching them to fish. They give them the fishing pole. They give them the bait and tackle. They show them where to fish. And, and then that person uh, has a, a sustaining business and the impact of that, that program, for example, the um, giving the business on average, take someone with zero income and they're able to, bring their income to two times the minimum wage. So from zero to two X, the minimum wage is the effect of, of that program with BMT Binoma specifically. It's a sustainable model that combines commercial financing that's sustainable, that's market competitive. Uh, and then some of the profit that goes back to be reinvested in the community. Uh, and so that's what a BMT is. And BMT Binoma is one of the best. They're a medium sized BMT. Their assets under management are, 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 I think, around $250 million. If I remember correctly, they've got uh, about uh, 20,000 members, and uh, they've been around since uh, – they've been around for close to two decades. So very good BMT, well-established. And you mentioned that the, the funding uh, from the Sukuk to the BMT uh, comes in that profit sharing. And how does that, how does that connection happen uh, where the Madaraba uh, is – providing a, a profit share versus a fixed coupon. How, how does that work for investors? How does that work for, for the institution that's, that's re receiving the funds? Yeah, so basically um, the investors, the, the money is pooled together and then that is then uh, passed to the institution, the BMT. The BMT then invests that into a portfolio of microfinance. Now it can either be a blended portfolio that gets the same risk exposure as the rest of their balance sheet, uh, or so the rest of their depositors, or it can be a segregated portfolio. We can offer both options. And then the returns of that portfolio, there's profit generated by that financing activity, and there's a, a profit sharing ratio, or NISPA. So 60% to the investor, 40% to the BMT or to the issuer. So in this case, it's a 60-40 split, and that, that can vary. Um, and when the profit comes back to the, um, to the, the SUKU, it's paid on a pro rata basis back to the, the holders of, of the, these equity-like instruments. The holders of the Sukuk um, receive periodic profit sharing payments on a pro rata basis. Uh, and then of course, if you sell or you, you trade your Sukuk, someone else takes ownership, obviously they, they have the right to collect those payments uh, until maturity. Uh, and then at maturity, of course, the, the, base, the you know, principal capital is returned back um, to, the, to the investors. And I guess one of the interesting 
features of this kook and how it operates is that it uses the blockchain and how does that fit with the with the various regulations and processes required for Sukuk issuance, including uh, KYC? So um, maybe I can do KYC first because that's sort of the easy one. So, so blockchain is essentially a computer and just like any computer program, the computer program can ask for any type of information. Just like when you install an app, that app might require you to, for example, provide your name, your address and upload a photo ID. You can do the same thing with a blockchain-based application. So in our case, the, the contract that's in the blockchain or the, the blockchain program, which is called a smart contract, um, it only allows investment from whitelisted parties. In other words, parties that Blossom has already due diligence and perform KYC. So any, any payments to the Sukuk during the subscription phase, those automatically get rejected at the cost to the sender if they're not whitelisted. Um, so that's how we handle KYC. It's on a whitelist basis um, and also trading as well. So the trading of the Sukuk, you also have to be whitelisted to uh, be enabled for trading because for example, in the U S if you're a U.S. based investor, you're not, a, you're actually, it's not tradable for you In other jurisdictions, it, it is tradable depending upon where you live. So those rules we've built in, in terms of like other regulations. So what's interesting about the blockchain is we're using it to record who is the owner or who is the, uh, who ha has that right? Just like a, a, a scoop coupon or a bond coupon, who currently holds it. And then it can be traded in secondary markets. So typically there's like a, a registrar and a, a transferring agent, et cetera. There's a bunch of parties that provide intermediation to um, at each step of that process. In our case, all of that happens just in the blockchain. So there's about 10 tip traditional intermediaries that, that aren't really needed when it's in the blockchain. And that's one of the values of, of doing it in the blockchain, um, you know, complying with an auditable trail of who, who holds the coupon, um, the payments that are, that are paid back to the Sukuk holders, the calculation of how much should be paid, the distribution of those payments, all those things are handled in the blockchain, um, which because you're cutting out a lot of uh, financial intermediaries, in this case, makes it much more operationally efficient, which is why we can do the small ticket size. Now, if you're doing a billion dollar Sukuk for Bank Indonesia or, you know, for Patronas in Malaysia, like that infrastructure is fine and it works very well. Like we're not, you know, that's not what we're trying to disrupt. We're actually unlocking Sukuk as a capital market instrument for an entirely new class of issuer. Interesting. And so I guess deviating, deviating a little bit from the uh, from how you've done it so far, but if, if it were to be done on a more multi-country uh, basis or there was a broader uh, spectrum of investors, uh, that same smart contract could enable, for example, specific Sharia boards that have approved uh, this, a particular structure to have an investor follow one or the other. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, once you create a structure, you could have a Sharia board approve that specific structure um, and then, you know, it's the same structure and in it, in it's there's transparency that the ACAD in the blockchain or the contract is the same contract because literally it's the same code. So if the, if the Shria scholars and the lawyers have approved a certain structure, it's literally, it's not even copy and paste. It's more secure than copy and paste. Um, so there's, there's a very high degree of confidence from the regulator, from the scholars that you're using an approved structure. And then if you have multiple approved structures, you could create a more highly structured product by layering those pre-approved structures into a, into a sort of a, a, a package structure or hybrid structure. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of broad opportunity. And so I guess in, in terms of opportunity, uh, what types of investable assets do you have now uh, on Blossom uh, in addition to the BMT? 
Yeah, so we so far we're solely focused on BMT. Um, we don't have anything outside of microfinance at the moment. We're, we are working on some construction projects using a, a lease-based structure called Ijara or Ijara Estesna. So that's, uh, you know, someone wants to build a hospital, for example, the hospital will be a, a commercially sustainable business, but it's also for the social impact of providing uh, a medical care in a specific region where it's underserved. And so that's, a, that's another structure that we've developed. Um, we're looking for the right, you know, a right, the right issuer to actually be one of the first projects to do that. Um, so we anticipate having other investable asset types, um, you know, based on the ownership of a, of a building and the lease of that building. But for now, uh, profit sharing microfinances are so focused. Okay. And uh, if other, uh, if others are interested in using the platform, is there a plan down the road to, to have it uh, accessible for other social impact focused small projects that wouldn't be able to issue a kook otherwise? Absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, so, you know, broadly speaking, any, any type of project that could become Sharia compliant, um, especially if there's something that's social impact focused, that funds can be raised in a Sharia compliant manner, it, we're more than welcome to have it on our platform. We, we'd love to chat with any, anyone doing projects like that. Um, and we've talked to a lot of different types of projects. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't have to be in Indonesia. It could be outside. Um, uh, we just chose Indonesia because it's a very big market. But yeah, we're, we're very interested to talk to all sorts of social impact projects that, that would potentially want to raise funds using a Sukuk structure. And what, what size projects are, you, you started with the proof of concept with $50,000. What, what size could that go up to that would fit, uh, fit a blockchain-based solution versus the traditional route? So I would say 50000 up to $50 million, uh, which is a wide range. But anything less than $50 million, it becomes very efficient to use our technology. If you start to go over $50 million, the conventional mechanisms are probably suitable especially less than 20 million or 50 million and below, that's like a really good sweet spot for us where we offer a lot of efficiency. Um, but yeah, anything over 50 million, I'd say the existing, existing capital market tools probably would work fine. Great. Uh, do you want to uh, share the website where people can go and find more information? Sure. It's blossomfinance.com. That's B-L-O-S-S-O-M finance.com. Uh, do you have any final words? No, just, um, you know, we're, we're always, obviously, uh, this first issuance was an institutional investor, but um, we do have, we do have a, a platform for retail investors. So if there's individual investors who are interested to learn about how they can do, make positive social impact, you know, happy to, happy to, uh, to bring them on, on as investors, inshallah. Thanks for the update on what you're doing and uh, congratulations again on the Sukuk issuance. My pleasure, Blake, and thanks for having me back on the podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Responsible Finance Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. If you want to stay updated about RFI's work, you can find a link to subscribe to our newsletter on our Twitter feed at RFI Foundation. You can also follow me at Sharing Risk. If you have suggestions for future guests, please drop us an email at info at rfi-foundation.org or tweet it to us at RFI Foundation. Hope you'll join us for our next podcast.